Well, welcome back, everybody, to what's going to be a really unique and special episode of Tech Whispers. Staying true to our mission, we're still going to have a focus on leadership, but told through the lens and experiences that only one person on the planet could tell. And that might sound like hyperbole, but it's not, because today's guest is a former CIO who started his career as a KGB spy. That's right. He was a KGB agent stationed here in the United States. Until 2015, I knew him as Jack Barsky. He was a good friend, German descent, uh, had a rich CIO pedigree, and an IQ that could choke a horse. And then one day, I get the call out of the blue. Dan, you're the first non-family member to hear this news. I just became a U.S. citizen. I said, Jack, that's awesome. Congratulations. Let's get together. Let's break bread. Let's celebrate. He said, well, actually, there's more. I said, okay, what's going on, Jack? He says, well, I'm going to be on 60 Minutes in a few weeks. I'm like, okay, interesting. I think CIOs are really, really fascinating and interesting people. Never known I want to be on 60 Minutes. So, Jack, tell me more. He says, well, Dan, I want to tell you that my first career before I was a CIO, before I was in IT, I was a KGB agent. I was stationed here in the U.S., and I was the most wanted man in America at one time. So, Jack, I appreciate you taking the time out to share the story of your very interesting, complicated, and often difficult journey. You grew up in East Germany, behind the wall. You were very intelligent, and you were one of those few that got tapped to go to university. It was a big deal back then, and I want to underscore that. You graduate, and you get what we call in the corporate sector, one of those answer-the-call moments. Uh, you get tapped on the shoulder. And uh, what, was the, uh, what was the call, uh, Jack? Pick it up there. The call? You mean in East Germany? In East Germany. Yeah, well, you know, I was already employed by, by the university and on my way to become a tenured professor, which uh, in, in Europe is a rarity. Everybody in the United States who teaches is called a professor. Uh, that doesn't, uh, that's not the case in, in Europe. A tenured professor is like, and, uh, almost a deity in, in the community. There are very few of them. And, uh, and I, 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 I got to correct you. I wasn't, I wasn't just intelligent. I still am. Number one. <laughs> I'll give you that. I will give you that, Jack. <laughs> no, no, number two, I, I graduated first in class. So I was an outstanding student. I got the, I, I got a scholarship, uh, in my uh, junior year. I got a scholarship that, that was a national scholarship limited to 100, 100 concurrent holders, okay? So I, I was a standout in every respect. And that's how, I, you know, I, I knew I would have a phenomenal career. And that's how the KGB found me, because most likely I, nobody ever told me that. But they, how did they find me? Uh, they probably uh, searched through... The uh, the records that the the Stasi kept on everybody and you know and you see if you see that profile say I want to talk to this guy let's see if he if he if he fits the 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 the, uh, the kind of person that we're looking for for an elite agent right and right. they didn't know it at the time they only knew that I was a uh, I was a active member of the Communist Party I was act, an active leader in the Communist Youth Movement and I was an outstanding student. So then the next thing after they uh, contacted me was to figure out whether I have the other abilities that they were looking for. 
you know, I wrote them down if you if you don't mind, because this is directly from uh, based on interviews given by a couple of uh, heads of uh, the Directorate S, uh, which was uh, the uh, subordinate to the first Directorate, which was espionage in the KGB. So this is what they were looking for: quickness of intellect, high erudition, language abilities, bravery, focus, quick response to fluid situations, hardiness to stress adaptation to completely new conditions of life, uh, well-controlled, this is my favorite, well-controlled inclination to adventure, ease of transformation and emotional stability. And they didn't know that I had this, this you couldn't find it in, in, in my file. So that's why uh, it took uh, about 18 months to have a, uh, a relationship with a local agent who sort of was like Putin. He was, uh, you know, a resident bureaucrat who, uh, you know, was a liaison to the Stasi and who did recruiting and stuff like that. And I met him once every two weeks and, and we talked a lot and he gave me some, some tasks to do that sort of were like uh, similar to what you might do when you are in the field as a, as a KGB agent. And after 18 months, he decided to, to introduce me to headquarters in Berlin. And that's when I got the question. Out of the blue, I wasn't. I, I wasn't prepared. You know, I I was there for three months. No, for three weeks, just to do a little bit of, uh, you know, practicing. So when you go to another city, I met. A, I had my first secret meeting where I didn't know the fellow. I only had an, a, an address and a time and a code phrase, and I worked with him for about uh, three weeks. And at the end of that three weeks, he took me to the headquarters of the Soviet Army which was also the headquarters of the KGB in, in East Berlin. And I got to talk to the head of the KGB in, in East Germany. And after some back and forth nonsense and propaganda, he just asked me point blank, are, are you in or not? Well, I wasn't prepared for that question. So I, you know, I tried to stall and I said, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not trained. I don't know, I don't know if, I, if I can do the job. And he said, don't worry about it. We know that you're qualified. But we also are, we only work with people who can make a quick, solid decision. So I give you until tomorrow noon to say yes or no. And the question always comes up, could I have said no at that point? Yes, without, without damage to my career, I believe very strongly. Uh, but, uh, you know, after a sleepless night, uh, my, there's two things that I was back and forth, going back and forth. You know, when you make a big decision in life, you you line up the, the pluses and the minuses and then you figure out which prevails, it was a tie. So then it went, it went to my gut and the gut said, number one, this is the most powerful uh, um, intelligence service in the history of man and they want you. That, that was flattery and the other thing was, you know, well-controlled inclination for adventure because I knew I was going to be able to travel mm. to the West, which uh, normal uh, average citizens of East Germany were not, not allowed to do. So I said yes, and then that's when it started. That's when it started. So, Jack, you get sent to the U.S., the United States of America, the other superpower. Um, what would have happened if we caught you? Like, you came here. You're... You're, you're what? You're like a six foot two, six foot three, tall, good looking, redheaded guy. I mean, you don't, you don't hide, you don't hide in a crowd, Jack. So. No, no, I don't. And you know, the funny thing is that uh, 
after uh, I was actually launched and I was active, uh, one of my handlers uh, confided in me that they had discussions as to whether they should send a, a guy of my height uh, as, an, as an undercover illegal. Because, you know, I, I step into a room even today and I, I, I can't avoid being noticed. But they, they rationalized because, you know, I, I had all these other uh, abilities. They, they rationalized this away. They said, because Russians are short. And they said, well, the Americans are a little taller. It would be okay. But you're right. And so now the, the question is, if I had been caught early on, the, the instinct of all intelligence services, if they catch a, a, an, an enemy of the age, uh, uh, an agent of the enemy, they will try to turn them. So there's the threat to go to jail, or if you work with us, you you can stay free, and eventually you you can you can, you can live freely in this country, and you know be on our side. But nobody ever caught me until it was way 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 late. Right, right. So you you mentioned some of those traits earlier, and so what's your mindset around risk? Your approach to risk. As, as formerly as a, as a KGB spy, but then as a CIO, how did you think about risk, Jack? Yeah, yeah. well, see, th this, is, uh, this is the way I'm wired. I've always been a risk taker, even, even as a child. Uh, I did things you shouldn't have done. I climbed trees I shouldn't have climbed. I fell, I broke some things. I, I, had, I was injured quite a bit, but I, I never stopped. And they, I see the same thing in my, my youngest child. She's 12 years old. Uh, she does the same thing. We are wired to just be bold and, and very, very optimistic in terms of we know everything will turn out okay. Well, if I hadn't been a risk taker, I wouldn't have signed up with the KGB to, to do that job because the risk was huge. And so by comparison, when I... When I became a manager and then executive uh, uh, CIO in corporate America, for me to, I mean, I, I, I had like uh, five different leadership positions in five different companies. Uh, they were all at the high level, two of them were CIOs. And, uh, and every time I changed jobs, that was a risk. Most people wouldn't do that, but I loved it. I loved the challenge and I knew it would work out. And as you, as you uh, uh, are engaged in that behavior, uh, the risk taking becomes less and less dangerous to you because you know that you're going to do okay. So you know the um, you know I, I, I fundamentally fixed uh, five different IT groups that were all, all in in bad shape, and they were the, the way they didn't operate well. They, they were a risk to the to the corporation. Yeah, and most people would say, I'm not going to take that risk. And I said, bring it on because there is the, you, you can only improve the situation. You can't make it much worse because it was already like broken. Uh, and so in, and by comparison of, you know, taking the risk as an agent and taking the risk of, of taking on a group that was dysfunctional, uh, taking a risk on installing uh, new software, or, or spending some $10 million on the project, that's nothing. I mean, I, I didn't even blink. And, you know, again, it always worked. If you have confidence in yourself and, and, and you, you assess, 
whether the risk is reasonable. You know, there's a risk reward, right? As a spy, the reward was going to be like I was going to be a big hero and, and have a phenomenal life after I retire from espionage. Uh, and, you know, the, 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 the glory that came with it uh, was bigger than the risk that I took. And so you, when you take, take on the risk of like uh, putting in new, uh, uh, new software, uh, the, the upside is that it's going to work well and you've got to figure out, you know, it's going to work well. And you have your experts, not the, mind you, not the vendor, but, uh, you know, the experts, the technical experts on your team and maybe a consultant. And they will tell you, well, this is, this, is, this is pretty good. This has a good chance of working. And then you go for it. And I fundamentally, it's, it's not bragging. I cannot recall one single failure in that respect. It's just because it's calculated risk and, and risk and reward calculations. If you don't take the risk, there will not be a reward. So that, that the passivity that doesn't work out for you in life or in, in a career. Yeah, that risk-taking, that boldness, certainly part of your story. Um, in your book, Jack, Deep Undercover, you describe how you were able, to, even though those, those, those traits we talked about, you talked about your ability to blend in with American society and gain people's trust as part of your espionage work. So how do you, how do you earn trust as a spy? <laughs> yeah, good question. And uh, I got to tell you, um, I spent five years in training in Berlin and in Moscow before I was actually sent. And of that training, there was zero hours spent in, um, in you know, in psychology, how to, how to deal with people, how to gain people's trust, uh, how, do, how, to be, how do Americans behave? How are you going to be like an American? You know, I, I interacted with two three born Americans, but, but they didn't really teach me. So I didn't, and they were much older and clearly not representative of the, 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 the age group I was in. So the only thing that was given to me by one of the, my, uh, my handlers, my, who, who had spent some time in the United States, was, was Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Now that was pretty brilliant because that 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 book is pretty much it, it's it's timeless. It's a phenomenal bestseller, and it's it's I recommend this to anybody who who is working with people, whether that be in sales, Carnegie was a salesperson, or in management. And instinctively, first of all, I read it, but in, and it, it increased increased my instinct. Uh, uh, I have been told that I'm a good listener. I can talk your ears off, but when I when I'm dealing with people who I know that they're valuable to me and the uh, organization that I'm in, I will listen because, and, and well, one of my favorite sayings is, uh, you know, when I have a tooth problem, I go to the dentist, I don't pull my own teeth. So what, 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 what was important for me to uh, recognize who are the experts, who are the ones that are knowledgeable and, and be really nice to them. You know, particularly in IT, being nice to them means to, to love them. Um, there's another book that I read before I became a manager. It's called uh, uh, Leading Geeks. Phenomenal book. Very, very uh, much recommended. And, you know, the number one thing that, that is important for, for, to, 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 
to manage people who are mostly introverted or very, very specialized, very bright, but not necessarily highly functional in society. I'm not saying they're all like that, but a lot of them are. You, you want to love them. You want to, you, you want to, you know, tap them on the shoulder. You want to send them home and you want to give them free food. <laughs> so. That works. That works. Yeah. Jack, I don't know if you remember me for the first time. I do. You were the CIO of an energy company. I won't mention them today. Uh, we met in Princeton, New Jersey for lunch. Yeah. I, uh, I, I recall we, this was next door to the building where I, uh, uh, where I actually uh, had my, my seat. And I, I was so, so impressed by you. And, and instinctively, I figured you're different from all the other book artists that uh, would stop by and wanted to sell their services to me. You, you, you were the real deal. Wow. I appreciate that, Jack. We became good friends. And uh, I remember talking to you a week later, and you said something to me that it didn't really resonate at the time. But later when I found out about your past, it did. And and, you, and I can still hear your and your Jack your Jack accent. Um, you know, you know something like um, I trust you, and I'm not sure why. This is very strange. Yeah. Now, now I can now I can rationalize that. Uh, and uh, it it took me years and years to figure out why my gut. That's what people call your gut. Uh, is so extremely functional. And I, uh, I, I call this, and I don't think uh, uh, I'm copying somebody else. I think this is, I should take a, uh, the copyright on that phrase. It's called uh, in, 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 uh, um, instinctive pattern recognition, uh, subconscious pattern recognition. So, so I, I tell you how that, that develops over time. I was always, as, even as a child, I was always, trying to figure out other people. I would be in a restaurant with my parents and I would stare at the people at the next table and my parents would tell me, stop staring. But in the meantime, I was trying to figure out uh, whether you know there was a couple who would get up first to go to the bathroom and stuff like that. So it's, it's innate curiosity and particularly curiosity about people. And of course, uh, th that helped me uh, that was intensified when I became an agent because I had to be careful not to get too close to people that actually could figure out that there was something kind of odd about me. Uh, I would also need to figure out, uh, uh, you know, who might be of interest to us instinctively. And, you know, and that helped me uh, later on uh, when I hired people. You know, initially when I was a low-level manager, I would ask very, very detailed technical questions. And I would ask questions, you know, what's wrong with the job that you're leaving and stuff like that. The last two years, I had a conversation. I, I could talk about any subject like, uh, you know, what kind of a pet do you have? Or do you like gardening? Or what's your favorite food? 10 minutes, within 10 minutes, I would, would be uh, thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, and how did that develop? Subconscious pattern recognition, because I have in my brain, I have a database of a lot, a lot, a lot of people and how they speak, what words they use, the, the, the pattern of the, uh, the way they speak, 
the tempo, uh, the, uh, uh, the facial expressions, the, the body language, and all of that, you know, I would, you know, I would subconsciously compare the individual that's sitting in front of me with the database that I have in my head. And, and I, I am not exaggerating. In, uh, in five years uh, uh, as a CIO, I made one mistake, just one. And, uh, you know, I over, overrode HR frequently because they went by, you know, check the box, check the box. Does he know this? Does he know that? I, don't, I didn't care. I hired high energy and smart people because you know that in, in information technology, what you know today is out of date tomorrow. So you need to be flexible and you, you, need, to have a, you, need, you need to have a passion for the job and, and, and that requires also high energy. That's how I still operate. I can now talk on the phone with somebody I never met and will decide whether they are friend material or not. It's always working. And as you, as you operate that way, you know, it takes time to get to that point, but you can develop this. This is not, this is not something I was given at birth. This is something I develop by watching people. And, uh, and in the end, uh, you become a whole lot more comfortable uh, in life because you're not uncertain as to who you're dealing with. And you're really, really good at picking friends. And I picked you. It doesn't get any much better than that. Uh, I appreciate it, Jack. Right back at you there. And so you're here. You're, I mean, at one time, I forget the exact detail. You were the most wanted or one of the most wanted people no, in America. No, we just didn't know. I was, I was number one on the FBI list uh, uh, for uh, espionage cases. Yes. Number one. But you... Um, it's like you, you can walk around say hey, I'm, a, I'm a spy you you've got a, you you had jobs right didn't you do some different jobs to blend in when you were an agent well my my first job when when I was able to to get a job because I first had to acquire the uh, documents you need to live and work in the United States in those days it was a driver's license and a social security card my first job I was a bike messenger in Manhattan for two and a half years, um, because there, most other jobs required to tell people what your work history was, and I didn't have one in, in the United States. Uh, messenger, they didn't ask you. But, you know, this was a, a lucky choice, because when you're talking about blending in, you know, I spoke English perfectly well with a bit of an accent, but in New York that was explainable, no problem but I didn't know how to behave like an American. I didn't know anything about baseball. I didn't know anything about football. I didn't know anything about, you know, the favorite TV programs. So as I'm sitting there waiting to, for another delivery, I'm listening to the conversation of the other folks. And that is eventually, eventually how I became an American. And, I, and then after three years, uh, two and a half years, I. I uh, went uh, to City University, and I had more of an opportunity to interact with uh, young, bright people. And as I came out of it, after three years, I graduated in three years, I came out of this, I was very, very comfortable presenting myself as a born American. And I got my first job, and I blended right in. And interestingly enough, uh, the team that I joined had a lot of foreigners. There uh, were Chinese people. There was a 
there was a Russian, there were two Russians, three Russians, uh, one Ukrainian and uh, a couple of black uh, African-Americans. And, uh, you know, I just I fit right in. And nobody ever questioned me as far as, you know, my origin. I was born in Orange, New Jersey. Uh, however, <laughs> there's a couple of things that uh, I carried with me without knowing it. First of all, my vocabulary in the English language was way too big. So, uh, and as you know, English has a lot of synonyms. And I frequently used the word that wasn't used by most Americans. So one time a friend of mine said, you know, you have a very interesting way of speaking. I had no idea what he was talking about, but eventually he came to me. But the other one was, <laughs> that, that was the last uh, vestige of being a German. Uh, and Germans, um, and I, I really, I didn't realize it until I went back to Germany after I became an American. And, and I reconnected with my friends from, uh, you know, my childhood and from university and, and, and high school. And I realized how nasty that can be. So they, first of all, they are, they don't really, con the private space that Americans have and most other people have, that's about maybe um, two feet. You can't get into somebody's face. Yeah, your bubble. Yeah, we've got a bubble, right? Yes. Well, the Germans do not, uh, uh, they, they, they don't acknowledge that. They get closer. And on top of it, they will just tell you whatever they think uh, comes in their mind, whether that is uh, helpful, critical, it doesn't matter. They're just highly opinionated. And I was still acting that way. And one, one day, uh, a friend of mine, he was Cuban-American, one of the smartest people I've ever met, uh, he, he took me uh, to, 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 uh, to an office, and then he said, hey, Jack, i got to tell you something. Everybody thinks you're an asshole. <laughs> and I'm going, what? I don't understand because I, I, I thought I was being nice when I was very German. Uh, now, now that that I realize that this was uh, this was inappropriate behavior, uh, I, whatever critical remarks I might have, I swallow unless I'm being asked. Mm. When I'm being asked, uh, I wrap those critical remarks in you know some velvet to make it not as harsh and as stinging. This is all very important to get along. And, you know, I, I, with, with that, you know, I feel really comfortable in, in my American skin now. And I, if, if given the opportunity to go back to Germany and live there, I would politely decline. Mm. I don't like the atmosphere. I don't like their uh, militaristic discipline. Uh, and, you know, I, I just like being an American, period. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Good tips, Jack, for people who uh, are bolder with email and text and say what's on their mind. And they Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. You know, I, I never send an email uh, after I wrote it. I read it over again mm. and, and to make sure that, it, uh, that I use words and phrases that cannot be misinterpreted. Because, you know, that particularly when, 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 you, when you're dealing with people that are uh, that are non-trusting, that are looking for things not to like, you got to be really, really careful. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not about, you know, bullying people, I'm sorry for that word, 
It's, it's about speaking their language. And that's the other thing that I learned. And, and again, I'm a listener and, and, and I'm an observer. And I learned how to talk marketing with the marketing people and to talk numbers with a CFO. I, the, the one CFO who, who had a, uh, uh, when I was a CIO in, in, in that energy company, who had an extreme dislike for IT, and he, just before he left, and I didn't know he was going to leave, I asked him, uh, hey, uh, um, do you trust me now? And he said, yes, I do. That was huge because I, I, had, I was in his office like once a month at least and had to explain him all the numbers that he didn't like. <laughs> Too funny. But, Too but funny. I always talk numbers with the guy. Yeah. No, 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 the business. Jack, so you, you know, I want to point, again, point people to your book because it's got your, basically got your journey, your, your, your espionage agent journey, and it's, it's an amazing read. I want to fast forward. You know, it got to a point where the KGB thought that you were compromised. They needed to call you back. Um, you had other ideas at that point in time. Well, uh, well, I, I didn't have other ideas. You know, it was a big surprise. So I see that there was a, uh, there was a signal system that we had and the, the, the dangerous signal that said, you know, you get out of the country because uh, you're in severe danger. Uh, that that was a red dot on uh, a a a pole um, um, that that was uh, supporting the elevated subway in Queens, uh, and I'm I'm walking and routinely I'm just staring at this every day. Nothing ever, and all of a sudden I see the red dot. I says, "Oh, and I'm sorry, I have to uh, quote myself here. Oh, because I was not prepared, and the reason I wasn't prepared at the time I. I had an 18-month-old daughter who I fell in love with like I never loved anybody before, and I never will love anybody uh, after, even though, you know, I've fallen in love with, with the woman, uh, one woman, uh, since, uh, since that time. But that's different because you want something back when you, when, when, you, when you love a woman. I didn't, this was unconditional love. I loved this girl so much, and I was trying to figure out how can I support her from a distance? I couldn't possibly tell the KGB to help me out with that because uh, they didn't have a clue that, that I had a child. Uh, they would have probably punished me for, for doing that. So I, I wasn't going to go that route, and I had no idea how to do this. And I was going back and forth, back and forth, and all of a sudden I had to make a decision. And the decision was go back home, and be a conquering hero. They had uh, uh, quite a few dollars saved on my behalf because uh, they paid me a salary, a monthly salary in dollars that I didn't need. And they didn't have to give it to me because I had, had well-paying jobs. And, and, and they promised me uh, to you know, be active in espionage, you know, doing you know, one-offs as a courier or you know, meet somebody, stuff like that, but not as an illegal. So I would still be able to travel. I would be above the law. And they promised me a house. A lot of good things over there. And I had uh, received the uh, second highest uh, decoration of the Soviet Union, Union, the Order of the Red Banner, the, uh, uh, the, the year before. So, yeah, all good things. And there was nothing good in the United States. The, they, they, they could have been right that the FBI was on my case. And there was a, a, some chance, because I knew that... Uh, 
defection was not an option because if I had if I had defected, they would have possibly come after me. So it went back and forth, back and forth, but eventually, and this is, uh, I take, I take credit for that because I'm, I'm telling people at that point, uh, I became a real human being and I joined the human race and, 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 and when, when really the L-O-V-E word love took over, took, took a hold of me and, and conquered the, the person that I am today because I decided that I stay regardless of the risk and regardless of the uh, reward that uh, I would be missing out on. And I, uh, and people ask me always, how do you, how do you leave the KGB? That's impossible. Well, you know, I, uh, I came up with this wonderful lie. I, my last, my goodbye letter to the KGB, which I wrote in secret writing. And I, I told him that, listen, I, uh, I understand that, uh, you know, I might be uh, in danger. I, I promise you, I will not defect. I will not, uh, I, if, if caught, I will not, uh, uh, cooperate. Uh, but I, I can't come home because I have HIV AIDS. And uh, because of my track record with them, because I had in the past uh, volunteered and, and, and voluntarily uh, shared mistakes that I made, that nobody else would have known that, that I made them. So they, they knew that I was like honest to the bone. So they had no doubt and they had no reason to, 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 uh, to doubt that that would be the reason I'm staying back. And so they went to my East German family and said, you know, your, your husband, because I was also married in Germany, uh, your husband died. And I'm, you know, today in the, what's the equivalent of the social security register in Germany, I'm listed as dead. Albrecht Dietrich, that's the, my German name, passed away in 1988. Fascinating. Well, it's the 80s and uh, the world was confused about this AIDS thing. Russia was deathly afraid of it. They bought it. And so you move on with your life. Well, Jack, for the folks who are new to the show, you know this. Uh, we like to weave in mystery questioners, people who are from your, from your past, from your inner circles, who know you well. And so let's listen. I've got a couple here tuned up. I wanted you to listen Tell us who these are and, uh, and then have some fun with their questions. So listen in. Hey there, Jack. I've known you many years now, and you are one of the most profound, deeply impactful individuals I've ever met in my life. And you have a couple skill sets that you have that people might not know about. And they actually converge, I think. And that's what I'm really curious about. So what I'm curious about, Jack, is what did you learn to discover as a deep undercover? as well as your greatest passion in life of being a father. What, two, what things did you learn about those two skill sets that you were able to bring forward together that helped you later in life? Okay. Well, this is a, this is a very, very good friend of mine who I met a couple of years ago. He is retired FBI. Uh, he is extremely knowledgeable in, in human behavior because he actually wound up leading the behavioral division of the FBI. And he wrote a couple of books about, uh, you know, how, how to size people up and, and how to, how to, you know, how to understand people. It's very, very, uh, nice, highly sophisticated thinker. And, uh, uh, 
hearing what what he said about me is 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 a great compliment. Uh, and so to, to answer the question, you know, I, this may sound odd, but I keep on coming back to the four-letter word. And, uh, you know, as you know, I'm a Christian, and the, it's, it says in the Bible, love thy neighbor. It, a loving approach to people, regardless of whether you like them or not, is the key to um, working with them. If, sometimes you have to work with these people because you don't like. You still just extend nothing but love. Uh, anything else is, uh, is, is counterproductive. And uh, obviously, I love my children, and, uh, and I, proved that, I proved that to them, and they love me back. And uh, so that's pretty much it. And the other thing I already talked about, uh, the ability to uh, figure people out rather quickly with, the, you know, with, that, uh, with, with that gut that I have. Uh, and that, that allows me to stay away from some people that I don't want to love. <laughs> yeah. No, that's um, Robin Drake. I had the honor of talking with him for some time. His, his, he's got some amazing books. Uh, Code of Trust is one of them and just a fascinating human being. And um, yeah, so thank you, Robin. I've got another, another question uh, for you, Jack. So listen in to this one here and have some fun with this. Hey, Jack, uh, just wanted to find out when you first came to NRG, what were some of the things that you thought about when you came into the role, you were evaluating all the employees in the department, you know, energy company, a lot going on. I'm, I'm interested to see what your thought process was as you started to position yourself as a leader in that role. How did you go through? What was the process? What was your thinking? And how did you then bring that to the team so that it wasn't so disruptive um, on their, their daily work? Yeah, I think that that was Kelly Lyman, no? Yes, yes, okay. that's the, the person who introduced you and I. Yes, when I first met Kelly, she was, not a, she was a project manager, but not reporting into my organization. I first met her, and after about uh, 10 minutes of talking to her, I said, you must be really good at project management it's because the way she, she, she uh, communicated, it was a well-organized uh, uh, speech that she uh, gave. And she was very focused and, you know, she was not well-regarded by upper management and, and at, at the company where I worked. So eventually, and I may have had a conversation with her about that, you know, if, if you're not doing well in this place, Go someplace else because you will be appreciated. And I think she's an executive somewhere in a, at a pretty high level. Uh, so to answer her question, again, I had read the book uh, Leading Geeks, and I was told that the IT group was completely mismanaged. They didn't trust one another. Uh, so there's two things that I did. First of all, I had a an all employee meeting when employee meeting when I when I uh, on my first day, I had them all in a room, and I was wearing a tie with Dilbert, uh, a Dilbert tie, right? And I, the first thing I said, by the way, this is not a tie. This is a statement because I know how cynical IT people can be. And <laughs> I knew that they would be cynical for sure. And, and I wanted to make sure that I am on their side. That, that's number one. I think that, that was big. 
The other one was uh, uh, the 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 uh, the direct reports to me. They were all directors or managers, about uh, half a dozen of them. Um, they, I, I sat down with them one on one with each one of them, and they had this uh, this, this this method of communication. They uh, they uh, put little uh, pieces of uh, paper uh, and on their cubicle with different color. The color was either green, yellow, or red, and that's how they felt that particular day. And it had a lot to do with how they related to me. So so here's and then they were fighting with each other. They were set up by the the. The, the previous CIO to to fight. I mean, he he was a he he managed uh, like a Machiavellian, you know, keep them guessing and keep them off balance. So I needed to make them into a team. So this is what I did. Uh, there's a um, uh, there is a uh, a a, uh, a book. Uh, it's called Now Discover Your Strengths. That talks about uh, the innate strengths you have. Uh, as opposed to capabilities you can learn, and uh, and with that comes a uh, a, uh, a, uh, a a questionnaire that's called the Strength Finder. You take this, and you don't know what the heck. Normally, psych tests you know what they're after. You know when you when you take the uh, Myers Briggs, you pretty much know whether you know what they're probing for. The Strength Finder, you have no clue. Why are they asking these questions and what the answer means? But eventually, I took it and it came up with my five basic strengths, and I said, "Wow, this is really good." So this is what this is what I what I did uh, for for this team to come together. We had an offsite, and I had everybody take that strength finder test, and then at the offsite, I had everybody go around and guess each individual strengths. So I made them think positively about their colleagues. And that team eventually came together pretty well. <laughs> and you know, this is something just like I invented. Nobody told me to do that. And this, this, is, this is, I think it's a, it's a great tool to, to uh, stop the infighting and to help people to see the good in the people that they're working with. Uh, I had to fire one guy because he was lying to me. And that, that, that was not acceptable. But uh, the, the others all stayed and did well. Well, Kelly uh, speaks very highly of you to this day. And uh, she has gone on to be a CIO, very, very successful. Yes, she has a big, big job. And she and I were in a CIO roundtable recently that I was leading. And uh, we were going around the room and just doing quick introductions. And yeah, I asked people to say, you know, fun facts, something you wouldn't find in your LinkedIn profile. And Kelly and I kind of together said, well, we both know a uh, the most someone who was the most wanted man in America and a uh, former KGB spy. No one else had that, believe it or not. No one else had that one, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm the only one left of us. They, they sent, uh, uh, they trained, this is again coming out of the KGB uh, archives. They trained 10 of us and possibly sent out 10. There's only one left in, in, in the public arena. The others may have, uh, you know, gone back because they had to, or they, they wound up in the witness protection program. But I'm the only one in, 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 the, in public right now. I have a monopoly on the ex uh, uh, undercover secret agents of the KGB in the United States. I love it. Well, that's why we appreciate you being here. And uh, one, more, one more mystery question, someone else who is from your 
your past, your professional past, Jack. So listen in on this last question. Hi, Jack. It's great to have the opportunity to speak with you via this podcast. Uh, I'd like to relate one of your superpowers that I have observed in our relationship. Uh, many years ago, you came into an organization and introduced me and my colleague directors at the time to the whole area of professional networking and professional connectedness through a professional organization like Society for Information Management. This was, I believe, the first exposure. Well, I know it was the first exposure I had had, and I believe it was the first exposure that my colleagues had had to a organization like that. And that has helped me uh, through the rest of my career. Many great connections that I've made through that uh, and help I received through those uh, connections. My question is, to what extent do you use this uh, same technique in other roles that you've had in your career? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, Who is that, Jack? This, this was Greg Flay. Greg Flay. Yeah, he you guys a, worked together back in the day. He was a direct report to me. Uh, he, he was uh, a unique IT manager in that uh, he had a degree in um, geology. Right. And he... He's uh, a PhD. Know, He's a PhD. In, oh, in yeah, PhD, right. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and unlike uh, most technologists, and a lot of technology managers, you know, those days were pure technologists, he, I could have a conversation with him about history, about the world, he was the only one. The others were like more narrow in their focus. That doesn't mean they were bad people, but uh, you know, he was he was really an interesting guy. And you know, he grew up. His father was, I think, a professor at Penn State. He, he uh, so anyway, an intellectual guy. And um, with regard to, uh, I just want to uh, you know say one more thing here. I was also a teaching boss <clears throat> when uh, in. I was criticized by uh, my now ex-wife, who was my <laughs> who was my outspoken administrative assistant, who was in the meetings that I I was too nice to the employees, and I was sharing too many of my thoughts. But I always explained my decisions because I told the, those folks, you know, one day you might be in a position that I am in, and uh, and 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 I'm trying to teach you how to how to operate. Well, Greg wound up to be uh, the CIO, CIO of uh, Austin Energy. Good for him. Now, with regard to the networking, uh, I was a networker before that, that, uh, uh, that word was in wide use because, first of all, I was supposed to, right? I was, you know, one, one of the, the commands uh, out of Moscow was, you've got to make as many contacts as possible. Well, so I followed that advice, but it also coincided with what I didn't know it was at the, uh, that I had at the time with my mixed, with my extroverted <clears throat> nature. I love being am uh, among people. I, I just like when I had an office with a door, I, every two hours I would leave the office and walk around and talk to people. And the networking, when it was possible, you know, when LinkedIn first uh, came into existence, I was one of the first joiners. And when I was told about the <clears throat> Society for, of Information Management, 
I readily joined and immediately took responsibility for something that I had no business taking responsibility for with, because I wasn't even a golfer then. I, I revived their, uh, uh, their almost uh, expired uh, annual golf tournament slash fundraiser. And uh, within like six months, you know, I was really proud to see the golf carts, uh, you know, getting onto the golf course because we had about a hundred attendees, uh, some of whom were like from companies that, that contributed money, as opposed to like thirty the previous year. So, so this this is this is this is who I am today. Uh, you know, I just I just moved to Austin, Texas, and uh, I am networking. I am. I'm trying to get established in the community. That, that's that's how, how I am, and uh, and uh, I didn't have to overcome introversion. I thought I was introverted, but, but but I wasn't. You know, when I when I finally was able to come out of the closet, I reconnected with my extroverted self. Uh, networking is absolutely key, and you don't network just because you you're looking for people that can help you. You are looking, first of all, for people you can help, you can help, which if you can, that's a feel-good situation. And then eventually you get it back, but you usually don't get it back from, from the same people that you helped, but from other people that want to help you. So that's, you know, it's human nature. This is, this is a way of being. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that Greg picked up on that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Greg Flay. Congratulations on your career journey. And- Jack, to your point about getting out of your office, when we first met, this is a long time ago, you had one of the first open offices, like no offices uh, environment. You were sitting at a, a big table with a bunch of people and you were very happy in that, uh, in that setup. Uh, I was, but it, it, has some, it has some dangers uh, associated with it. Uh, uh, there are sometimes things that uh, you need to discuss that uh, that are and, you know are between two people, and then if somebody overhears something, uh, they might uh, actually uh, come up, come away with the with the wrong idea. And you know the the only the only individuals with an office was uh, HR and uh, the the C- the CEO. Now, if you saw somebody walk into the HR office, you immediately thought there was a problem. <laughs> so. Other than that, you know, it, I, yeah, it, it was fine. But, you know, I made this one mistake. There was this, this young lady that um, I hired, very, very bright person. And I had known her from, from another job. And we, we were um, kidding. You know, we were like talking funny. You know, she called me uh, some some silly names and I, I didn't mind, you know, the same way my, my younger daughters call, call, calls me an old man. That's, that's an expression of love. But, uh, but the people overheard that and they, they thought I actually had an affair with her, which I did not. I, I mean, the, the, the entire company knew that I had an affair with that lady. No way. Absolutely not. Not even a thought. <laughs> but, but so, that's that's the danger Jack. with open space. Yeah. Well, Jack, we're kind of winding it down here. Um, I know you're doing a bunch on TV. You've got a bunch of projects going on that are very interesting. I see you on, on mainstream media all the time being, being interviewed. You do a lot of keynote speaking as well. So if somebody wanted to book you for their espionage conference or their CIO conference, how would they get a hold of you? 
my website, real easy to find, jackbarsky.com. <clears throat> there's a there's a there's one page that where where you can you know get in touch with me. Uh, I will respond to everybody who reaches out to me on my website, even if even if it's just to say hello. Uh, that doesn't mean that we can become friends because, uh, quite, quite frankly, <clears throat> I have enough good friends now. I can't, you know, you, I can't handle it anymore because friends require attention. You, you can't just be friends and, and just uh, send a, a text message once a year. So, but, but I will respond to uh, everybody who reaches out to me on, through my website for sure. <clears throat> Outstanding. Well, Jack, really appreciate this. And I was going to ask you if you had an agent, but it just seemed like the wrong question of a of an agent. So uh, <laughs> well, go to jackbarsky.com, uh, yes. go to the speaker page. And uh, well, Jack, we're going to release this uh, podcast in conjunction with a couple of days prior to International Spy Day, just uh, in honor of your, your early profession. And uh, anyways, really appreciate this. Always enjoy our banter, our fun. Uh, look forward to being together with you in person again here soon. And uh, thanks again for making time, Jack. So uh, am I Am I going to, where are you now, in Oklahoma? Yes, sir. That's right. Just up the street. I have never been to Oklahoma, <laughs> but, but it's, it's, it's closer to Texas than it is uh, to uh, Georgia, where I used to live. And New Hampshire, where I used to live. Absolutely. Well, good stuff. We'll put a wrap on it, Jack, and to our okay. amazing our amazing audience. Uh, they are smart. They are uh, have high expectations. I'm sure they got a lot from today. This was very unusual, Jack, but uh, only Jack, as Kelly Lyman would say. But, yeah. Well, thanks. You know, this was uh, this was a uh, very well focused and uh, and uh, constructed uh, interview. So you know, he, you allowed me to. Just hit hit the the high notes, typically, uh, because the, you know the book is over three hundred pages, and there's a lot of stuff in the book. My life was uh, uh, rather complicated. Let's put it this way. <laughs> Indeed, deep undercover, highly recommended. Go watch the Jack Barsky sixty minutes episode. Uh, pretty incredible too. But until next time, y'all stay well. You've been listening to Tech Whispers, inside the playbook of the best digital leaders, a Woolette and Associates podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show as this helps us connect the world's best digital leaders with those who aspire to learn, grow, and thrive in this amazing profession. Thanks for listening. Until next time.